Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and I am going to keep it short and sweet because I forgot that I was meant to do this introduction <laughs> so the podcast is already late coming out particularly for our Patreon subscribers who get the show a day early and ad-free with an intro from me and I recorded this a couple of weeks ago and I forgot that I hadn't done a little intro for it. So Dave Lawson is who I'm speaking to today. If you don't know Dave Lawson, well, you've come this far. Listen for the rest of it. I think you're going to enjoy spending some time in his company. I really love this one. It was comfort podcasting. Dave and I know each other a little, but not that well. So it was a great pleasure to spend some time talking to him about life and what he thinks about life and his very individual perspective, I think, that he has on life. And it was beautiful to be in the company of somebody who very gently opens your mind to different ways of living and different possibilities. He he sneaks up on you a little, I reckon, Dave. It, it sounds on the surface like he's not giving too much away, but I always feel like he's giving something away as we went. And so I just loved it. It was just exactly what I needed. And uh, I hope it is what you need as well. If you are a Patreon subscriber, yes, as I mentioned, uh, you can sign up at the Patreon page, patreon.com slash philosophy for as little as a dollar per month, a dollar US, I should point out, a dollar per month to support the show if you like the show. And uh, if we get to 5,000 in contributions per month, that's what we've been steadily going towards. We're almost there, not quite there yet, but we are almost there. Uh, That will mean we'll put out two episodes of Philosophy a week, a new one on a Sunday for Patreon subscribers and a repeat episode, not an actual repeat of an old episode, but a, a, a previous guest on the podcast will come back to give us a little insight into how their world has changed. So I did that last week. Uh, Claire Bowditch was the episode that came out on Friday, the catch-up episode for everybody, and I uh, hope you really enjoyed that. If you have lost someone recently, I do give a little trigger warning at the top of that episode uh, that there just might be something in the middle of it that uh, comes a bit out of the blue. So I do highly recommend checking out that episode, though. Claire is an absolute delight. And again, talking about comfortable people to talk about, Dave, is exactly in that same world. So I hope you're going to like this one, too. On Friday this week, we're going to put up a catch-up episode as well, Charlie Pickering. We'll be back because we're getting close to 5,000. So I thought we can put up a few catch-up episodes. So Charlie Pickering is back for the first time in five years or so since he first did the show. So that's a really great catch-up episode. And tomorrow morning after I'm recording this, tomorrow morning I'm catching up with Ben Lee. Ben was one of the original uh, people that I had on the show and has been going through some very interesting stuff of late. So it'll be good to catch up with Ben Lee. So if you want those sort of episodes to come out weekly, uh, we've got to get to that $5,000 mark so we can cover off all the costs to do it every single week, one brand new episode, one catch-up episode. So the best place to guarantee that can happen and the good shows can keep on coming is to go to patreon.com and sign up there. Uh, all right, that's the plug. That's all the plugs. I have a podcast called uh, Tofop, one called Fofop. And uh, one guy, one called Two Guys, One Cup, an AFL-adjacent podcast. You can find them all at tofop.com. Uh, Charlie Clawson and I do Tofop and Two Guys, One Cup. And uh, Fofop I do with uh, a bunch of different comedians. Uh, the 300th of that episode, which was the recent one, was with Dave Anthony from The Dollop. And uh, 301 is also from, uh, with someone from The Dollop, Gareth Reynolds is my guest on uh, Fofop this week. So always fun to catch up with Gareth. Okay, hope you enjoyed today and uh, talk to you again soon. Hello 
and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and joining me today, this is how the show starts for our guests. Very excited to have today's guest on the show. Uh, we had to put it back a week because last week my... Uh, my puppy had to go to the vet. Well, she's not really a puppy anymore. She's five years old, but she's the little sister in our family. And she had a rash and she had a bit of a sore face. And uh, this guest was very, very nice to not only postpone until today, but to follow up to ask how my pet was. It was young Winona. And uh, when he wrote back, she was full of Valium. So she was absolutely fine. Uh, this is how the show starts. I asked the guests who they are. Who are you, sir? Uh, my name is David Lawson. Um, people call me Dave usually. Uh, I don't know what I am. On Wikipedia, it says I'm a comedian, but I don't really identify as a comedian. Um, uh, I probably identify more as an actor, but... Who knows? Who knows who I am? Okay, so like I even like the fact that you started with David. People call me Dave. Who who calls you David? Mum, mum. Is I'm, that it's it? It's on my birth certificate. I think the only reason I became yeah. a Dave because I was uh, when I started, uh, I suppose, acting or performing. I was on a kids show and there were two Daves, so they needed a David and a Dave, and I took Dave. So it stuck, and I, I, I like it. I think I think it suits me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and what comedy needs is another Dave. We were very short on Daves <laughs> in the world of comedy. So it's true. It's true. Uh, yeah, that's uh, so. Look, it it fits and it stuck. But uh, yeah, I think I introduced myself as David. Uh, do you respond to David? Because I'm interested in this. Like, because I'm <laughs> William, obviously, but I go by Will, and nobody calls me William. Like my uh, grandmother, rest in peace, she called me William. But uh, other than that, I don't think there's anyone re remaining in my life apart from maybe my best friend justin hamilton who will say it comedically he'll william. call me william william but, anderson but yeah um yeah i, I think i'm probably uh, i like the older i get the more i identify as a david i think than a than a dave i want to be taken a little bit more seriously but um it's it's hard to come by people taking you seriously these days. So, John, you could do a John Johnny Farnham style and just demand <laughs> that people. You're like, now I'm sick of being labelled on Wikipedia comedian. Yeah. I am an actor yeah. and I feel like I need to differentiate. Maybe for your comedy work, you could be Dave. And yeah. for your, like, you know, more serious work, you could Acting be David. David. Well, yeah, I could I could try that. Maybe people will take me more seriously. Because um, I never started it. Don't, I don't know. I wanted to actually, I wanted to. I studied advertising at university. I wanted to be um, probably more one of the panellists on the Gruen transfer than than a host of the, a show like that. So where did you grow up? Where, what, Melbourne. Where did you, Melbourne? So in the suburbs of Melbourne? Yeah, I grew up in Sandringham, which is near the beach. It's kind of, you know, I had, I, I've got no hard luck story. There's times I wish I had a hard luck story, but... Parents were together, went to the good school. Oh, I don't know if it was the good school. It was at the time, you know, it was a, a, a fancy boys' school. Um, what were you like at school? Like what was your personality? Where did you fit into the sort of social structure I at your school? Think, yeah, I, I was um, – I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed playing football and I enjoyed doing drama and I enjoyed the humanities, hated maths, hated science and spent most of my – Lunchtimes in the art shed, painting pictures or in the drama, drama studio. What do you call it? Theatre. 
and um and just playing foot and playing football. So I kind of that, that, that's why you've never been respected as a <laughs> a serious actor, David, because you keep going. What is this thing? The, the drama studio right. that we're performing in. Yeah, I've only started maybe using words like the craft and being a, a, pra- a practitioner of the craft. Uh, Could you just run me through what stage left and stage right yeah, are for a second? No, upstage, downstage. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I feel like I, I think I had friends and. And, uh, you know, got along with most people. So uh, I don't really recall being bullied, although I did remember there was one guy who used to have throw a few punches on the bus and it was only yesterday I came across his Instagram and he's into cosplay these days. So maybe the bully has softened a little bit, I would hope. But uh, I don't recall being bullied too much or I don't think I bullied anyone. Well, that's always the inverse question because often if you have a story of not being bullied, the inverse is that you were you were the bully. <laughs> but you don't feel like you were a bully either? Um, uh, hopefully not. I mean, there could be someone who listens to this and goes, oh, bullshit, you know, yeah. you know, you had a go at me one day. But oh, hopefully I wasn't. Hopefully people thought I was nice to them. Um so Did yeah, you have aspirations that, for sport was like was your sporting yeah. ability any good that you had aspirations to do that professionally? No, I like I like being probably one of the better players in the B team than the worst player in the A team. That was okay. my favourite because um, what were you? You were cricket, weren't you? Is no, that, foot, no Aussie, Aussie rules. My dad's a great cricketer, and I right. love cricket. Like I, yeah. that's my. Yeah, if I could fantasy be good at a sport, it would be cricket. I just did an episode of right. this with Matthew Hayden, the former Australian right. um, <laughs> opener, and I was disappointed that he really wanted to talk about things other than cricket. Like we talked for an hour 45, and only about 20 minutes of that is cricket, and I yeah. I, I actually would have liked a, like a nine-hour going for 380 world record edition of this where we only talked about cricket. Yeah, right. Well, that's, I mean, I look at all the guests you've had on it and, you know, you've you've had all these fantastic guests. Then you've got me who doesn't know if they identify as a comedian or an actor. So sometimes I feel a little bit guilty about talking about myself to people or well, that people even want to listen to what I've got to say. Well, I guess that's, I mean, what this show is about at its heart is that I don't really, I have known you on and off over the years, mostly through other people, you know, like, you, you know, we're more friends of mutual friends rather than, you know, people who know each other that well. And so I'm absolutely fascinated to find out a little bit about you and, you know, what you think about life and what your approach to life is. It feels to me that that Wikipedia entry is actually a very good place to start because right. I do think there is a sense of who are you and where do you fit and, you know, what what is it exactly that you're doing, you know, like with your life in the nice way, like you're doing lots of things. You're always, people know who you are. You're a guy who works and does things. So, but you, you don't necessarily uh, strike me as someone who's easy to categorize right. in what it is that you do. Is that something that you also uh, feel about yourself? Uh, yeah, possibly. I, I mean, I just, uh, I pick things or do things because I'm going to enjoy doing them. I'm after studying advertising or maybe wanting to go into advertising, I really wanted to act or perform or just be in front of people, I think is what I really wanted to do. Um, so it sort of just slowly snowballed and I never sort of picked a direction. It just sort of went in its own direction. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think when I finished school, I did drama and, you know, I, th- I think I was all right at it. 
so I wanted to be an actor, uh, a proper actor. So I thought maybe go to drama school. But instead I did advertising. I, th- I think that was partly because my parents, you know, put me through a, a what's considered a nice school. I don't know if, I'd, if I've got a son now and I don't think I'd ever send them to a private boys' school. Um, and, in fact, I wouldn't send send him to a private boys' school. I don't know if they're a good good place. But um, so, yeah, I wanted to come out of that and I suppose I thought felt they, I needed a fallback career if I was going to try acting. So I studied advertising and then thought I'll give acting a go and it just sort of started out as a few TV commercials and ended up going from there. It's it's interesting to me because I have a very similar story. I have a journalism degree for the exact same reasons that, you know, I wanted right. to be a comedian, but I needed something to fall back on, you know, if being yeah. a comedian. And so I went into the always secure world of newspaper journalism, a thing that will clearly always be around <laughs> forever and always be a good, reliable job. So, um, I, But it's also very useful for you, I imagine, having studied journalism. It's It wasn't a waste of three years of your life. Well, do you think that studying advertising was helpful when you suddenly became a commercial, like a, a commercial actor? I, I, I think there's parts of it, which it's funny that you asked how I categorize myself, but I think what you learn from that is that you've kind of got to market yourself in a way or sort of working out where you fit in, which it's weird that you asked me where I fit in and I still don't know where I fit in, but um, it seems like sort of being a comedian or an actor is marketing is where you where you fit in and who you are as much the way people see you is probably just important as what you do um so yeah, maybe i could take a leaf out of my own book and work out where i fit in and maybe maybe become a david rebrand is that what they call it right you've got to look after your own yeah. personal brand you've got to take that advertising yeah, experience yeah. and well, brand yeah, yourself that's right that's right. Who am I? What what do I do? But that was in the yeah the nineties, which coincidentally, I'll tell you, the first time you would not know this, but you caused a car accident probably in ninety eight. I was driving along with a friend in her XL, Hyundai XL, and you were walking across, I think, Punt Road in Melbourne, and we went, Oh, there's Will Anderson. Drove straight into the back of someone. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a formative time in my life, but maybe I want to be the person who causes car accidents when someone goes, hey, there's... I wonder if I would have been a different person if I knew that I was causing car accidents, whether that would have got well, to maybe. my head a little bit because, of course, I've never have. known that. I, I think I'll walk with an extra strut in my step when I cross the road today in the hope. You should. You should. I, yeah, I can't remember. It was just it was a car. There were three of us in the car, and, yeah, that was it. We took, you know, took our eyes off the road for a second to – to have a look at Will Anderson drove straight into the back <laughs> of someone else. <laughs> so yeah, you're having impact back then. And I mean, there's a lot of comedians like that back then that I so I sort of not not envied, but I really enjoyed going to watch comedy festivals. And you know, I like who? Who were you watching? I th- uh, people who stood. I think I went to the Amazing Jonathan probably twice, but that was when oh, yeah. I was a lot younger. Yeah. So I loved the Amazing Jonathan. Went to Lane on Woodley. Seen the Art. documentary that has been made about the Amazing jo- Jonathan. I I haven't. It's where is he now? Is he do, is Vegas? Is he doing Vegas shows these days? The story of the amazing Jonathan. There is a documentary about the life and times of the amazing Jonathan that I could not more highly recommend to you right. because the amazing Jonathan has been a person I've been fascinated with because that's when I'm starting out in comedy. He used to come out to Australia, pack out you know the comedy club or wherever he would play, and it would be full. 
every single night and Dave O'Neill would come to gigs and tell us what it was like to do support for the amazing Jonathan. And, <laughs> and like it'd be the amazing Jonathan and David Strassman. They'd be the two people that Dave O'Neill would always have these incredible stories about. But anyway, it turns out the amazing Jonathan has this this the life and times somebody went to make a documentary and it's one of those classic ones where they went to make a documentary about one thing and it ended up being a documentary i won't spoil it for people because the joy is in seeing all the various steps of his life unravel and all the weird mysteries and connections around it but i highly recommend it he was on hey hey it's saturday all the time i think he must have there must be a record for appearances on hey hey it's saturday be the amazing jonathan wouldn't it and Dan David Strassman on Hey Hey It's Saturday. Were you ever on Hey Hey It's Saturday? Did you ever? Was that? I never. I never did stand up on Hey Hey It's right. Saturday. Right. But I did appear on an episode of Hey Hey It's Saturday. What? Um, and so it was one. Of, I can't remember what the name of the game was, but it was one of those games where they would get like three, you know, celebrities or comedians, and yeah. you would sit on a chair. And I remember you had to bring something from home, and so one of the objects would belong to one of the people, but you'd all have a story about how it was your object. I think yeah. that I think that was like the conceit of it. So you'll love this. On one chair, Greg Fleet. Yeah. <laughs> on the other end chair, me in my first Hey Hey It's Saturday TV appearance. In the middle, Australian showbiz royalty, Kamal. Oh, Without God. a word <laughs> of a lie, this is what happened. So as the curtain comes up, and I to this day hope and assume that Kamal did this on purpose to throw us, but as the curtain comes up, Kamal looks at Fleety, looks at me, and he says, you know, fellas, we look like a Vegemite sandwich. <laughs> and you can see, just as the curtain comes up, Fleety and I just burst out in laughter and our like, faces between our legs as Kamal just sits there smug and self-satisfied in the middle. He knew what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. Hey, I watched an, um, an episode of Hey Hey It's Saturday that was on YouTube with all the ads in it still. So I sat down on a Saturday night. This was only six months ago with um, Ryan Shelton. I'm not sure if you know Ryan, but he's great. Of course. But, um, so we sat down on a Saturday night and watched Hey Hey It's Saturday. But what was fascinating was watching with the ads on, I think, you know, all the old TV commercials that played. Um, I'm not sure the show holds up anymore, though. I'm not sure you could get away with a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> and, Contro- controversial? Yeah. I, I don't think so. No. Well, I think it's because I um, – Mum used to take us to tapings of TV shows when we were right. younger. For I think she found out they were um, you could just go for free, so she used to take us. But we never got along to Hey Hey It's Saturday. Uh, I went along to Perfect Match though twice to see a taping of Perfect Match, uh, the Early Bird Show. Remember the Early Bird Show with Marty Monster? Yes. I'll watch a taping of those shows. But yeah, I mean that era of TV which is, I, I love that. And it seemed like so much fun watching Hey Hey It's Saturday. But you watch it now and it's just so slow. And Daryl actually wasn't that good at hosting a TV show. He had no idea what was going on. No, it, it was an incredible mess that somehow worked. <laughs> like yeah. it worked because we all believed in the magic of it. And I think that's why when it came back on a Tuesday night and they tried to reboot it, it mm. didn't work anymore because the show didn't work if the whole audience didn't believe. It had that idea of a Saturday night shambolic sort of party hosted by mm. somebody who wasn't really in control of the party. Yeah. And, you know, people would jump in and things would go wrong. But occasionally you would see the most amazing people 
like who found themselves on Hey Hey at Saturday because it was pretty much the preeminent Australian TV variety show. So mm. my favourite thing was we none of us knew that the emperor was wearing no clothes, but occasionally <laughs> you'd have some international guest flown in and then dropped into this thing, like where the <laughs> incompetent host was co-hosting with a puppet, and yeah. like they would just suddenly reveal it for what it was because they would just go, "I do not understand what this is or why." Like I remember seeing Bill Hicks, the incredible American comedian Bill Hicks, one of the greatest comedians of all time. You know, redefine comedy sometimes in bad ways because. There's so many young open micers who think they're Bill Hicks, but but also in great ways, you know, a, a revolutionary comedian. And seeing him on Hey Hey at Saturday is still to this day <laughs> one of my favourite memories of stand up because I was like, what is this doing here? Yeah, no idea, no idea what was going on. No. but that's gone. And yeah, yeah, you you think it would be great to have a show like that on, uh, you know, a Saturday night or even Saturday morning when your recovery was around to have these live TV shows. Um, but I just don't know if they work now because back then you had four TV channels and you on a Saturday night. I remember they'd hey, hey, Saturday beyond Red Faces would be on at, what, 7.30 and mum and dad would wait around before they went out to a dinner party um, for, for Red Faces to play. But, I th- yeah, it, it, it's a shame because I really had fond memories of it. So I'm not sure watching it back was a good idea because it makes you question everything. Do you think about what we miss from not having – community television though because we, we're living in a golden age of entertainment there's never been like you just can't look back on the history of the world you go back 10 years and we're making stuff that is better than 10 years ago let alone yeah. 40 years ago and 60 years ago like the like there's a lot of shit but like the good stuff is just absolutely amazing and would blow the minds of tv viewers like 20 30 40 years ago yeah but none of us are watching it at the same time We're not really watching anything together anymore. We're downloading things. We're watching entire series in a night. We don't have that sense of, you know, we all come together on a Saturday night and we all watch this show. And then we all have this like, you know, group of references that we can sort of have during the week to talk to each other about something we saw on Hey Hey at Saturday. Yeah. I think it it felt like for a moment when we had, when this, um, uh, are we talking about the? Is it the P word? The pandemic word? Are we mentioning? That yeah, no, no. This is. In, I mean, this is in the middle. I, 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 I think we need to talk about the times that we're in. Yeah, particularly with this show where I'm asking people about, you know, how they find meaning in their life and what the meaning of their <laughs> life is. I think that it's hard to talk about that and not talk about the fact that everything in the world suddenly changed. Well, to put this in a place in time, we're in between. I'm in Melbourne and um, we're in that hard stage six lockdown or getting towards the end of it. But in the fir- when we had, when the country had the first lockdown, it felt like for a moment that TV might come back because we're all inside, we're all at home together. And, I th- yeah, it felt like for a moment that this is the perfect time to have a, a live variety show. And I, for years, I've, no, not for years, I've done 10 episodes of a Tonight Show out of my shed in my backyard and I had it all rigged up and it was one of those moments where I thought maybe I could fire up the, um, fire up the shed again and do my Tonight Show out of my backyard um, in between these. But, you know, then it, what got in the way was my own laziness and just realising I had a moment <laughs> that I could do absolutely nothing because I loved the idea of doing nothing at all. That first time around, 
And I did nothing. I went and panic bought watercolour paper thinking I'd do some watercolours and did nothing in that first lockdown. What was it, four weeks or whatever it is? So, and for a second there when I thought... When you say you I'll... panic bought watercolour paper, yeah. now, is that something that you're actually panic buying or is the fact that no one else is buying it meaning that you're just <laughs> buying it? I feel like I you're panic buying toilet it. paper because other people are trying to buy toilet paper, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure you didn't need to get to the watercolour shop at it 7 was... o'clock in the morning to get your three sheets of watercolour paper. <laughs> it did, it did. You didn't, but it was low. I think a few people have had, had the same idea. And uh. I mean, I didn't pick up a brush. I thought this would just be a great opportunity to paint, stay at home and not feel – because I think – Often when we're, we're, I'm a, I've been working freelance, I mean, for 20 years. So whenever you get some time off, you, I always felt pressure that I should be doing more with my time or trying to generate work. But this was the first time it really felt like you, your job is to do nothing. That's all I have to do. So, and that was the first lockdown. Uh, and then for a moment I thought, yeah, maybe I should, could do that tonight show that I've got already set up in my shed, ready to go. Um, and I think I Googled live streaming equipment once and then just went back to the couch. And, but this time <laughs> this time around, I'm not, I'm not, I, don't, I didn't want to waste it. This is like this second lockdown felt like, well, okay, I don't want to waste this one. So I've been tidying my house and watercolour. Okay, so I'm, I'm interested in that because – you know, Melbourne, Victoria has been the only place in Australia so far, and let's remember rest of Australia that it could be a so far. I yeah. almost had a panic attack <laughs> coming to Sydney the other day because I've been living in the country where it is quite socially isolated, and then I came back to a city that assumed that there was already a vaccine. I assumed to COVID nineteen <laughs> the way people are just hugging each other on the street and hanging yeah. out. People don't high five anymore. They lick each other's palms and then put them on their tongues. It's like, yeah. <laughs> so, talk to me about that idea because the first lockdown, I think everybody understands what that was like. People felt some people were like, "I'm going to be like Shakespeare. I'm going to write some, you know, great mm. piece of work." And then some people were like, "No, this is the first time in a very long time that, like you said." for the sake of the country, for the sake of everyone, the best thing, and for the sake of myself, for once I don't have that pressure to be chasing that commercial, to do that play, because those things can't exist at the moment. So take that pressure off my own shoulders for a minute, do some things that I really want to do, you know, with my own life. I, I get that. I think that's a really great thing that you gave you yourself permission to go, I don't need to be doing something else right now just because I could do something else right now. Yeah. But the transition between that and the second one, I'm very interested in. So what made the second one different to the first one in that regard? Well, I think, you know, the first one will happened um – I had was about to do my second comedy festival show, which was a sort of version of the Tonight Show that I was talking about that I did in my shed. So when that was cancelled, it felt like this might I be was, a little bit more. I serious. was going to appear on that show. Yeah, I was going to have you on. I was really looking forward to it as well because um, last year, sorry, the last comedy festival, we did the show and it was really great. We had such a great time doing it, and we'd sort of practice this show. We're ready to go, which was great fun with Stephen Curry, Mark Wilson, who you've had on your podcast and Ryan Shelton was all, he was kind of our stage manager, warm up boy. Um, uh, and we were ready to go. So when that got pulled and the comedy festival got shut down, yeah, I realized it was serious. And that was when I sort of 
put everything down and decided to do nothing. And then we had a little bit of respite in between where you could go to a cafe, you'd have to scan a QR code, or you could go to a pub and you have to register your table you're on, which was nice. And then it all all happened again. So I live, I um, share a nine-year-old. So fortunately, half the time I've got company or someone to play Xbox with or pretend to do homeschooling, um, which has been nice. I don't know how... Well, the first one I had, uh, yeah, I had so half the time to myself, and I, th- which was great. But I don't know how I'd go doing it all the time by myself. It's you could get into your own head a little bit too much, and I think particularly the nature of, I don't know, maybe. Uh, you know, I'm someone who likes people, and I think I get energy off being around people. So I, that's what I really missed. Um, missed that first time around and realized probably something about myself that I really like. I like people. And so this time around, um, yeah, this time around I'm just, I think I'm sort of doing a few more of the things I said I'd do, just cleaning, even cleaning the house or cleaning under the stairs, doing those things that I put off. Um, but it's, it's, it's tough. I think it's got to a point now where maybe four weeks into six weeks where you can see the end, which is what I've heard. There's like a, 10 day if people in quarantine for what the the 12 days i think day or 14 days day 10 is the hard one for some strange reason so i think i'm maybe in that in that sort of pocket now where you can see the light but you're not sure when you see people out too many people out running you go don't stuff this up for all of us please um but yeah it's, it's fine has it been uh a confronting experience for you like i mean one of the things that Obviously, for me, was I'd I'd quit a secure radio job at the end of last year because I was <laughs> yeah. going to, you know, spend a year doing what I love to do, which is you know, <laughs> live two of my stand up, and I had three different shows, and you know, I, I got a few months of it. Like I'm very grateful for mm-hmm. that. I'm glad that I didn't go from quitting a job and then it all being taken away. I got a sense of what the year would have been like, and that was enough to give me the energy to think I want to do this again when we come out of this at some mm-hmm. stage. But realistically, my job, that part of my job at the very least is something that probably isn't going to come back for another year probably until there's a vaccine well i can't yeah. imagine that we can ask large groups of people to gather jammed in a theater together and then me to get them to expel fluids from their mouth consistently for eight minutes <laughs> until yeah there's some sort of jabby 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 that they can have on the way in so i've had to reimagine you know where i fit into the world and what i'm going to be doing with my work and and you know what my priorities of my work are and like for me some of that's been really cool like for example this show this is the first time in the entire time i've done this show the six or seven years that i've been doing this now where i've ever done the show on purpose it's always happened jammed in between the other commitments that i have whereas like now in some ways this is the biggest commitment that I have during the week. So I can put it in my diary and then I can arrange everything else around it. And I think it's meant that the show has been better and I'm, I'm certainly enjoying the, doing the show a lot more than I used to. So like the reimagining in some ways has been very positive, but there's been some confronting stuff as well. Like tell me about your journey, what's been confronting, what's been positive. Well, I think too, I mean, I realized um, when the comedy festival was, you know, shut down. For me, I was doing that show because I just in re- really enjoyed 
sort of doing something with my mates and it was never i suppose a money spinner or anything i don't know how many comedians it, it would be hard to make money out of i imagine a lot of the time when you're paying for marketing and flyers and all sorts of things like that and um how much of a chunk of you know a, a yearly salary that that because i was only doing eight shows but if you're doing back-to-back shows it realized that these live performers were really going to be doing it tough because you rely on that festival to get you through a big part of the year, I imagine. So for me, sort of having to not being able to perform in front of people wasn't a, a, a huge problem. I was really disappointed and I was just only because I was looking forward to doing it. Um, but I think for me, the, the biggest thing I have that's come out of this for me is how much I really sort of, I'm not sure if I take energy from people and hopefully I'm not one of those people who, takes too much energy from people or it's, you know but i really like you know i like meeting new people and um i think that's what i've realized about myself is something i need whether it's not i don't know if i need to perform or stand up in front of people because i never felt some urge to suddenly get on instagram and start doing music or songs or anything like that and um so i don't know if i how much i get out of um sort of applause or because well, that's more it, that that to me doesn't surprise me what you've said because i think mm. externally observing you as a performer you can see the energy that you get off other people like even in your work most of what you would be well known for are you know collaborations right yeah. you're creating something with someone in that moment the reason that those uh, Toyota commercials that you and Stephen do mm. are so fun. It's not because they're like you can enjoy those commercials whether you remember the great moment from for people who've never seen them, reenacting uh, you know great moments from the history of AFL football. Basically, that's the premise, and then mm. there's some sort of you know comedic twist to the advertisement as as they go on. And um, the the joy is in you two feeding off each other. The relationship that you guys have more so, I think, than the actual reenactment of the moment or the joke that's yeah. included in the moment. Well, I think those were – I mean, they lasted for 15 years, those mm. TV commercials. So – and I'd not – I'd met Steve Curry maybe once before we both got cast in those. I th- the story I've heard is that Pete Hellier and Dave Hughes didn't want to do those ads, so they had to look for someone else. Um, and I think we were the, we were the lucky lucky ones who got it. So that was yeah. I mean, that's when I first met Steve, and I've always enjoyed working with other people. I think when I I did Nickelodeon for five years, and I worked with people always through that. And I've never yeah. Even when I've done you know my shed show, I still wanted other people involved in it. So I've never really wanted to do things by myself. Um, it's a, it, there's definitely a sense of collaboration in everything that you do. So what is it? Who do you like most working with then? I don't mean necessarily specifically mm. people, although I'm happy for you to answer it that way, but <laughs> I think more who do you get great energy off? In in a moment where you're looking to react off somebody, what are you looking for? Right. Um, I think, you know, people – it, it was funny working with Steve Curry because in that he got to, he was the straight person and I was I was the idiot around that which I really sort of I think that helped me perform in that and sort of more recently 
you know, working with someone like Ryan Shelton, I just love the way his brain works. You know, he's he's. Um, I, I I like to yeah I like someone who makes me laugh too. I've I've never set out like I've, again I've never sort of thought too far ahead of what the next move is or who I want to work with. It just presents itself. And someone like Mark Wilson, who's the mu- I call him the musical director on my Tonight Show out of my shed. The only reason he got involved was uh, you know Mark Wilson played in the band Jet for people who don't know who Mark, he was the bass player in Jet, um, which was a huge band. And the only reason he got involved in it is he'd seen the first ever episode I put up on YouTube uh, maybe in 2012. He saw me at a bar and said, I just saw your show. And it only a thousand people had watched it. So, it, you know, not many people watched it. And he said, you need a musical director. And I went, and at the same time I said, you're in a, you're in that band jet, aren't you? And he said, yeah, but they just broken up and he, so he wanted something else to do. So that's, yeah. it just seemed, and we're great mates now. That just came from, you know, a chance meeting at a bar that he said, I need a musical director. And, you know, I love, um, I love spending time with, with Mark and, um, you know, having him, having him involved in the show. So again, yeah, it's, I never set out thought I need a musical director. And I think a lot of the time it feels like if you've got, if you're too focused, you might miss opportunities like that, like, that you, I never knew I needed a musical director, but if I was too focused on what the vision of the show was or what it was actually going to be, I, um, I might, yeah, might have completely missed out on having that opportunity. Well, so that's that's all very interesting to me because, you know, this show, at least the premise of this show is that I ask people if they have, you know, some sort of life philosophy you know whether it's a work philosophy or a you know a a parenthood philosophy or a you know love philosophy it doesn't really Mm. matter but whether they have some sort of guiding principle by which they live their life and it seems to me in a lot of what you're talking about it's very um it's not some big guiding principle that it feels so so tell me do you have an answer to that question do you have a philosophy i did think about like i thought about it You know, do I have a philosophy? And I, the only thing I could come, not the only thing I could come up with, I remember when I was finishing year 12, and this was 22 years ago, whenever it was, and they asked the school leavers to say something inspirational to the rest of the, you know, all the, all the younger people. And all I could come up with at the time was take it easy. And I think... (laughs) The teacher came up to me after and said I was a bit disappointed that I thought you might have had more to say to them than take it easy. And I thought I, – I think I've changed that as my life philosophy from them, but I kind of agreed that things will happen. But, I'm, you know, more recently I've been sort of – you know, I'm aware more of that being able to take it easy when you're – when I went to a private boys' school – I'm a white guy. It's pretty easy for me to take it easy. That so I think I've changed it. It's not always easy for people just to take it easy. You know, I uh, I think taking it easy is good, but I think I've probably changed it more now to maybe go easy on yourself. I think is you don't be too hard on yourself. And I always sort of think uh, I make you, you make mistakes, and I allow myself one one mistake, and I'll only it's only a mistake if I do it twice. That's you know, I don't want to beat myself up that I said something stupid to someone one night or just don't do it again. You know, that's, that's, I suppose that's a life of philosophy, but sort of, yeah, take it easy, go easy on yourself. I mean, I think, 
you know, the idea of, I mean, to me, it seems so simple what you've just said that, you know, it's only really, you know, something you beat yourself up about if you do it again. What a simple insight into so much of the baggage we carry Mm. around. Like, you know, we've all made mistakes. We're all imperfect people. And sometimes we make small mistakes and sometimes we make, Mm. you know, really big life-changing, you carry them around for, you know, 20 years mistakes. But really, it's about whether you do those things again that you should be judged by Mm. so much more than... And it speaks very much to the culture that we suddenly have where somebody can make a mistake... We're seeing this all the time. You know, we set people up as being these perfect people and then when they're not perfect, you know, everyone gets so angry about it. Um, I think there is a spot in between that, which is you save your anger for the people who do it again. Yeah. Now, look, there are some things that are so bad that if you do it once, you know, it's yeah. not like you get, well, you murdered one person, but like <laughs> as long as you don't, don't do, do it, it again, again yeah. that's going to be fine. But in a more general sense... It's the pattern of people's behavior that we should be more critical about than the idea that somebody can make a mistake. Yeah. And, when it's, and a lot of the time you beat, oh, I beat myself up about dumb little stuff that I've done or, yeah, said or, and it's just, yeah, I think I realize that if you just, you know, cut yourself a bit of slack and go just learn from it and don't do it again. And then if you, if you do it again, you know, you can revisit you can revisit what you know why you did it, um, but I think it was. I remember, and I think maybe having the the blinkers on in two in the year. I think it was two two thousand and one. I was in just having a beer an afternoon in a pub in Fitzroy, I think it was, and this guy came and sat down to say, "Can I chat to you?" And he called himself Guru G, and he looked like a guru, like a um, you know he he. he I believed he was a guru from, uh, you know, he had this sort of transcendental meditation vibe going on and he said, look, I'll read you, I'll give you some advice. And I, I, don't, I don't know if I believed him, but he said, uh, this was 2001, he said, 2002 will be very favourable for you. And I said, so what can I do? Nothing until then? He said, yeah, if you want. But I think I believed that and I took that information and went, well, I'll, okay, fine. I don't have to worry about anything. And that just took blinkers off and gave me sort of freedom for a year to to not do whatever I wanted, but try not to overthink things that I needed a career. Did I want to do advertising? Did I want to become David Lawson, the actor, or Dave, the comedian? Um, so, which, yeah, which allowed me just to relax a little bit and take take the blinkers off, and then some opportunities came up. And in 2002, that's when I sort of got my first – it wasn't a grown-up's job. It was a job on a kid's show, but it was, you know – I think by grown up, I meant there was money in my bank fortnightly rather than I didn't know. I, I had to make, I didn't have to make $200 last three weeks any, anymore. Uh, t- did you feel comfortable talking to kids? I'm very interested in people who go into kids' shows like kids' entertainment where suddenly the audience of what you do you know, is children. Was that something that you like felt? at ease to be able to do? It, what, it, um, it was never something I set out to – I didn't want to – I like the idea of hosting and didn't set out to be a kids' show host, but, I've, you know, I was going to auditions for Dr. Pepper commercials, for Just Jeans commercials, and the same casting agent had um, an audition for um, a, a kids' show that came up. They couldn't say too much about it, but you turn up anyway, just you worry about it if it goes any further. 
Um, and then so that had about three or four auditions for it. And each one I you kind of wanted, I didn't want it, then got called back and I thought, I did, I do want this now. And then by the third one I thought, I better get this because I don't know why, but I really wanted it. I really wanted to get it. And it was for Nickelodeon. So I was on Foxtel. So I never set out to be a kid show host, but I think I could relate to kids and I, I think I was quite good at it um, and I really enjoyed it. And so that's why it lasted for five years. And the, the philosophy of the Nickelodeon at the time was don't talk to kids like they're kids. They're, I mean, you don't want to try. I think even the word cool was on the don't, you know, as an adult, you shouldn't say the word cool. Because that was on the band list. Because it's not cool for adults to say it's cool. Or so I think that the band list was cool. God, I think they were pretty much the only two words you couldn't say on on, on Nickelodeon. <laughs> cool, cool, and God. Um, so I, look, I really enjoyed it, and that was it was a I, it was one of those jobs that was kind of hard to give up after five years because it was it was fun. I worked Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, I got to move to Sydney for it, and. Um, I yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was never something I set out to become a, a kids show host. Uh, what did you learn from? I mean, because as you said, you you know share a nine year old. Yeah, like was there things that you learned from your experience? You know, making entertainment for kids that you took into your experience of raising a kid. Um, yeah, I think there there is. It is important not to talk to kids like their kids because they don't want to be spoken to, and I don't think they respond well to being talk talked down to. Um, and in terms of just sort of remembering that how fun it is to play and play make believe, and for a lot of these kids, I mean, we, we had cartoons like you know SpongeBob SquarePants was uh, one of the cartoons we have, and I think. Yeah, oh, here's another thing that I, I, I suppose I learned from my time there is I was lucky enough to go over to, you know, uh, America a few times through Nickelodeon and I got to meet, meet Steve Hillenberg, who's the creator of SpongeBob SquarePants and interview him. And I love SpongeBob SquarePants and I think uh, he's since, I think he's, he has passed away, but he's he was a marine biologist before he came up with this idea for SpongeBob SquarePants and he told a lot of his, I suppose, his friends that he was coming up with his cartoon it's about a sea sponge who lives under the sea. Its best friend is a, a starfish uh, and it's got a squirrel. And people didn't, you know, I suppose when I don't get it, it's it's not a great idea. Where's this all going? Why giving up marine biology to come up with this? But it is, it also, I mean, it was a fantastic show and he could clearly see it in his head that sometimes your ideas aren't as bad as everyone says they are to maybe have some faith and, in, in your own ideas that, you know, I've come up with a few few ideas and thought they're stupid ideas and someone does them a few years later. Um, uh, you know, one was a – I went to the patent office, patent attorney actually over this one. It was a backpack that turned into a scooter so you could flip it down and you could scoot your backpack around. And I did, it hadn't existed at the time and I thought yeah. there was a great idea and I went to the patent office and they said, oh, it doesn't doesn't um, – no, it doesn't exist. But then I spent enough time talking myself out of this – no, it's a stupid idea. You're going to put too much time and energy into this idea that's just a just a pipe dream. And then Samsonite brought one out and I was in the airport and I saw this kid scoot past me on a backpack. And it was a sort of – 
it was there was a moment of it wasn't devastating, but it was disappointing that I didn't have trust myself that that was a good idea, and I should have gone followed through with it. And it was never to you know make enough money to never work again. I just thought it would be a fun idea turning a backpack into a scooter. Um, I I I love that. I mean, firstly, I'm constantly inventing things and doing nothing about it. Yeah. So, like, you know, the other day I was like, you know, you know there just should be an app that you put in the show. There may be this app, by yeah. the way. I couldn't find it. I did yeah. a little quick yeah. Google. But an app where you put in the show that you want to watch and it tells you which of the networks, you know, and streaming services it's on. Because that's the hardest yeah, thing. Great. It's like, I want to watch this show and then you have to flick through everything and yeah. find out which one it's on. There's just an app where you just, where, where can I find this thing? Yeah. And it gives you the options of where you can find it. That would be a really good app. I am never going to do anything with that. So if anyone wants that no. idea, please cut me in a little. Yeah. If it becomes like a really big idea, <laughs> please right. cut me in. Well, in, but run with it. I'm not Go sure about. if this works as a platform now. Maybe if I'll say, I mean, there's another one I haven't done anything about. It was called www.w.com. And I mean, using face, facial algorithms, you could find your actual doppel, doppelganger. You could find your W. Oh. So that's, I don't know if that exists, but I'm sure that people would love anything that uses facial uh, recognition to sort of get data and face points and all sorts of things so w.com this is i mean brilliant for one of the big companies that (laughs) wants to own all that that's all you want to do track us it'll it'll send you an alert it'll find you a 98 (laughs) percent doppelganger in the world and maybe if if you both want you can chat to each other um i mean there's nothing like that people want more than the idea of finding somebody else who looks like you two that it plays into our ultimate vanity as human beings but i i wonder what the lasting ramifications would be on humanity of an app like that because i think that there's going to be an immediate comparison between the life the other you is having and your own life and there's always in each of those things there's going to be one doppelganger who thinks they've done heaps better than the other doppelganger and then at some stage (laughs) someone's going to murder their their doppelganger and take over their life this is what i'm saying i don't want to i don't want to be the guy who comes up with the problems in the meeting but i'm saying this is definitely going to lead to doppelganger murder i don't need it to last that long you want yeah most apps you just need to last for a year you know, get a few million downloads and then get away, get out, get out of the, get out of the Sell game. Sell out before the first murder. Before the first murder of a doppelganger and the takeover of a life. That no one yeah, knows. but you don't sell out because your doppelganger's murdered you and taken over your successful company. I would never, I would never do it myself. I mean, it was just an app idea that I thought could, could be a fun, uh, a fun idea for an app as well as when my scooter backpack uh, went, uh, you know, or when I saw my scooter backpack being scooted through the airport. Uh, so tell okay. So I'm interested in, and I I love this idea, by the way, because I think that particularly in the world that we're currently in, everything, the way we did everything is now just etch-a-sketched as far as I'm concerned. And we have complete permission to start again and rebuild things in the way that we want to rebuild things. And I think that future belongs to people who can imagine things that aren't already there versus people who can just reimagine things that we already have. And so... I, I love this perspective. Is that something you try? I, like I'm, and you, mm. we can talk as little or as much about parenting as 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 you like, because I understand that sometimes people it's not an area they yeah. want to spend too much time in. But I am fascinated by 
um, how you talk to a kid about the current situation we're going through in the world. Like, is it a big deal in a kid's life, the fact that suddenly they can't be going to school, that they can't be seeing their friends, that they are facing this big, scary thing that is happening, you know, across the world? Yeah, he's... I mean, he's dealing with it all right. And fortunately, I, I worry more about what it's going to do for the um, social development, how they react with people. And I think, um, um, I don't know if there's a good age for it to happen, but being eight or nine, he's in grade three. He's got a lot of the foundation stuff out of the way when he was at school, like learning to read, write. He can do all that. So um, I think he's, no, he's, he's pretty aware of what's going on. I don't know. I was chatting... To, I've had a few friends who've had babies in during this time, so they've went in without a baby and they've come out with a baby. And what that that these young babies will only have sort of their parents holding them or touching them for however long that is, and what impact that's going to have on um, sort of you know attachment or you know uh, separation issues um i i don't know i i've really tried to look at the positives i think one of the first bits of news that i loved coming out of this was that they could see dolphins in the venice canals again you know uh and that you could see mountains no i don't i don't, I don't want to i don't want to break your fake. heart dave but it was fake so uh <laughs> oh, no. the venice canals but i hoped that's my, my, i suppose i'm more hopeful that that was what was going to come out of out of this the like- Venice canals are very unpolluted compared to what they right, normally okay. are. But we're not saying it dolphins. It's a great story. It's a great story in and of itself. Right. Unfortunately, the dolphins were not in the Venice canal. Well, I'm glad I found that out three months later because I was I was hanging all my hope on those dolphins in the in the Venice canals. No, there's, um, I mean, but there is examples. The funny thing is that is the most common image from this. But there are real world examples of the sort of things that you're talking about happening all over the place. It's just yeah. that the most famous image of those things is completely fake, which I think is a grand statement about the. <laughs> world we currently live in but well, anyway what's um, real anymore especially with your deep fakes who knows what's what's going on i think yeah but Ant's trying to answer the, the question of how does what do you tell a kid i think he's of an age he's i don't try to hide too much from him if he asks i mean i've never lied to him about the the um santa clause i suppose there's no kids listening to this are there so i can we can i can, I can blow the lid on that can't i yeah, I, I don't give an, I give a warning, but it's always explicit, this conversation. Like, right, I'm sure yeah. I'd get a lot more downloads if we kept it clean, but it's my fucking podcast and yeah, you can do, we'll do you what we like. Exactly. All right, well, if anyone's listening in the car with their kids, mm. I'm about to... Um, I'm about to talk about the Santa Claus. I've never told him that... I never lied about Santa Claus and used that as a thing someone's watching you. Whenever he asked, I just said, I've never seen him with my own two eyes. Like I did stay up as a kid trying to look for Santa Claus. So I've never really lied to him about anything, uh, I hope. I mean, I'm sure there's some stuff which like why, why did I go outside for five minutes to, <laughs> and come back, come back smelling like maybe why does uh, your, a why nicotine. Does your jacket smell funny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that's about as hopefully as bad as it, get, as it gets. So I've, I've tried to be honest with him uh, through this time. And I think fortunately for him, having the two houses has been quite, quite good f- for all of us that he gets, he's got a little brother and sister um, who are younger, um, so I think he enjoys getting here for you know a little bit of 
quieter time and he gets to go back there. So for him, it's broken up. So I think that's probably a benefit for us. And fortunately, we get along. We all get along as well. So we don't have to do the swap over in a Macca's car park on the freeway or anything like that. So, um, look, I hope he's going to be all right. I think he wants, he's keen to, he's never, he keeps saying he's never been outside Australia, which he hasn't. Yeah, so he doesn't have a passport, and I was sort of gearing up to ready maybe go on a few overseas trips, which has been disappointing for me. That uh, I don't have no idea when that's going to be. When we might even be able to go to. Um, I mean, he's always wanted to see New York, just I think because you know Spider Man and and the Statue of Liberty. So he always wanted to go there, and I would have loved to have taken him there. And I just have no idea when that's going to be. So that's maybe the disappointing. Thing to come out of this, but on the upside, we've been able to spend some really good time together and uh, get some good hours on the Xbox. So, um, you mentioned before that you wouldn't probably send him to a all male boys private school. I'm very mm. interested in why you say that. It wasn't. I went to a co-educational school. I went to a country private school, which is kind of like right. a city public school. <laughs> it's kind mm. of what I always say. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not It's not what, when people say private schools, it's not what we imagine the city private schools to be like. But I will say it's still a private school. You know, I didn't go to a state school. You still have, you know, some extra facilities, some extra sort of, you know, particularly in the country, access to, you know, better paid teachers. I'm not saying necessarily they're better pa- mm. teachers but like you know more credential better paid teachers those sort of things so definitely some advantages from it i was on a scholarship you know i went there my brother went to the all boys catholic school in in, in town so we both had yep. very different uh high school experiences um i don't know how much they shaped us one way or the other but i'm interested in why you think you wouldn't do that i think um, well, I think mainly just going to school, I'm not sure how good the energy is to have a whole lot of boys together at, all the time. Um, also, in I'm fortunate that I did drama, so we had access to, you know, the opposite sex that there'd be um, – we'd often do a production with a girl's – the, the girls' private school. So we got to relate to other people. Um, uh, but I, I just don't know about the the energy and how that, if that is good in shaping. I, th- I think friends who I've got who went to co-ed or state schools relate a lot better to, as guys relate a lot better to the opposite sex than perhaps we did, whereas there was this thought that, you know, girls are there and they're it's you know you can't be friends with them you know i was thinking about the word you know even being friend zoned i just had i was thinking the other day i have problems with that word being friend zoned because it suggests that there's you can't be friends with someone who's the opposite sex and that there's probably only one thing you're trying to get out of a friendship there uh, well that's just one of those things I've, i'm <clears throat> i i thought the other day so yeah, i think mainly for that reason and um, I th- there was just a lot of footy, footy, footy. You know, are oh, you doing drama? What's wrong? What's wrong with you for doing? There must be, you know, uh, you know. Um, I don't want to use the word they called the the drama the drama team, but yeah. at the same time, when they're going, oh, you're a drama, uh, you know, a drama guy. You know, I was the one. We were the ones who were sort of, you know, meeting people and sort of hopefully. Sort of, becoming better 
more well-rounded people. It seems I think, I think we are incredibly badly served, even in my own life. Like, and I went to a co-educational school, but in that the majority of our lives, particularly, I mean, the very heteronormative conversation in some ways, like, but even in a, like mm-hmm. in the yeah. way that you'll respond to people of the opposite sex, it comes with so many yeah. complications. We're going to have to spend the majority of our lives doing it. And we are going to probably, you know, for heterosexual people at some stage, try to form some lasting relationship with somebody from the opposite sex. And yet we get so Mm. little, like they spend so much time teaching you, you know, things that you will never need to know. And yet so little time teaching Mm. you about the one thing that we can guarantee that whether you're interested in science or the arts, you're probably going to have to relate with people from the opposite sex. Maybe we should do some training in that. (laughs) That's right. I think too, and this is, I say, I went there 20 years ago and no one at the school, uh, when I was there, identified as gay and I don't think they would have wanted to because I don't, um, and I feel sort of really sad for those people who would have been afraid to come out at that particular school at that time, it would have been, you know, really hard and they would have been jumped on for no reason. I'm, hopefully it's different now and I know the school's gone into a parallel parallel education sort of uh, model, which I think they have separate classes but they're all there together. So maybe maybe that's a, that's a, a better way to go. Um, but I think for me it was fortunate because I got to kind of be a little bit different and I wasn't that different but because I did art, drama, I was made to feel a little bit different at this school which was probably focused more on sports and science so the fact that you did art and drama and graphics and I mean I was I was told I did bludge subjects I was a bludger for doing art drama and graphics but I was probably doing more work out of school to get those done than everyone else but it made me feel maybe a little bit different to which was a nice thing I think for me I mean the irony is and look we see it reflected in our public policy right now the fact that the arts is woefully undervalued in the contribution that it makes to society in general but also like economically like I mean there's an economic case to make for the arts Mm. as well as there being like a broader case to make for the value of art in our society and yet neither of those cases seem to be particularly high priorities for the people who run our country and It is still that sense of that we're sad when, you know, a whole bunch of people have lost their jobs, but when artists have lost their jobs, well, that's the bludgers. You know, there's still that sort of attitude. And yet the great irony is that it's the artists who continue to work unpaid. The amount of work that artists do, and you mentioned it earlier about those comedians who, you know, missed out on their, you know, maybe half of their income for a year or maybe three quarters of the income for the year for the Melbourne Comedy Festival. But not just the income, but the fact that they had already done nine months of unpaid work to get to the point where they might get paid for that work. So the comedy festival isn't the start of their creative process. They've been, you know, honing that show, doing it for free, working on it, writing, having other jobs to support it, do all these things for the entire year, maybe the entire two years before for the opportunity then to put it in front of people and get paid for it. Mm. And yet they're the ones who are looked at as bludgers. 
there's if like a carpenter's not doing that much unpaid work, you know, in the no. hope that at some stage you'll, you know, <laughs> yeah. So it just doesn't. It's it's amazing to me that we have that perspective, but I think some of it comes out of like it, it starts at school. It shouldn't surprise us that mm. it repeats itself in Parliament when it starts at school. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, very much so. I think that that's and you're not taught. I mean, I'm not sure. As an artist, this is what I've had to kind of learn myself working freelance. That you've got to, because it's just sort of managing the money you do have. Because it doesn't. It comes in in you know bits and pieces. And I think early on f- for me, they never taught this at school. But someone, I asked someone some advice when uh, when I started doing the kids show. What's your advice? And they said, just save your money because that's that's not going to keep. It's not going to keep coming like that. So I found it easier to sort of put that away and give myself some sort of salary out of. So I didn't, that was never mine, but I could drip it down. And so I, felt, I always felt like it was like a water tank, stage one restriction, stage two restriction, <laughs> stage stage three restrictions was don't catch a taxi, you know, cook your own food. So you're always constantly tapping on the side of the tank to see where it's at. Um but I found that really useful information, particularly this time coming around that um, that idea of saving, that it's not always going to work. So when the first lockdown happened, I knew that I had, I suppose it's that rainy day money that everyone had talked about, that, you know, you're not always going to be the flavour of the month. Someone else is going to, you know be the be, be the be the person who takes all you know take does does the footy ads or so i think that that's you know the first time i've often have to rely on that sort of savings there but i mean this time when the pandemic struck it was the first time i realized what that rainy day was is when you can't work or you won't work so they didn't yeah i mean that's another thing that they didn't teach you know at school it's all science and maths but it's not how how much tax you're gonna have to pay and that you will have to pay some of that money back to the government one day, and they're going to they're going to ask ask for it. As a as a performer, I think yeah, it's not, and I'm sure they don't teach that at drama school for actors either. That look, if you get paid, don't doesn't mean you can go and shout all your mates beers and baggies at the pub, and because it's going to keep flowing in, you know. It's you know, I've seen friends who've got a good job and. And they're very generous with the money, but at the same time, you want to say no. Just doesn't mean you shouldn't be buying us all cocktails. That's your money, and you've worked hard for it, or you've spent all that time not making money to just put it in the bank. And you know, I paid myself the doll earlier. That's that's the way I sort of figured it. That I'd pay myself when I first got my checks. I rather I put myself. Yeah, I can't remember what the. Well, it wasn't called the doll. It was called New Start Allowance. So I worked out what the New Start Allowance was, and I just paid myself New Start um, to get by. But I found that really useful um, through, you know, as part of doing what I suppose I, whatever it is I'm doing. Um, and yeah, particularly this time around, I'm not sure if that answered any questions or I got sidetracked there talking about. No, I loved it. Um, how, 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 how to manage to, money. I wanted no. I, I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> I think the level of insight there and that perspective on how you've done that is 
fantastic. I, I absolutely loved it. I'm not sure it's where I started it, but I loved where right. I went to. Um, <laughs> right. I, want, I want to talk to you about um, your painting. So it's come up a few times, obviously, that at school, yeah. you know, you were in the art class as well. And, and you know, you talked about the idea of like painting. So like how big a part does that play in your life and what is that aspect of your artistic life? It's, um, I think for me, it's, it's definitely a hobby. There's times where I, I get quite involved in it and can spend months at a time just doing that. And that's all I want to do. But for me, I think it's rather than, I probably do more painting than reading books rather than if, you know, I've got some time, I'd like to sit down and paint. But I think it's just about separating those two parts of your brain. Like if you're getting too emotional, I found, you know, doing a puzzle can be a great way to, stop you going too much into your own head whereas I find for me doing a picture or a doodle or uh, even getting a canvas out and trying to do a bigger painting the only thing I'm worried about is is the color the right color or is the line going to be in the right spot so it just it can switch I feel if I'm getting too into my own head and I've been fortunate that I haven't really you know suffered from anxiety or depression too much in my life and I think for me if it happens it's I know it's only going to be two days and I'm going to come out the other side of it and you know a couple of times it's gone for three or four days which is the worry that I've worried is this now then what it's not going to stop but I've found that doing a picture or something can swap I don't know I don't know if this is science but it does feel like there's the emotional brain and the rational brain and the painting seems to engage the rational brain more than the emotional brain if I'm getting too too into my own head. So that's the only that's the reason I do it. I've always been fascinated by my my partner she's a um you know well she does set design and production design for a living but she went to art school and she was a screen printer and uh I've been you know doing like you cleaning out the house it's hard rubbish at our house so <laughs> I've been up in the attic you know and her old screen printing stuff was up in the attic and I've always she loves my uh, sometimes just if we're at a cafe or if we were traveling, like I would draw the people around us, you know, little caricatures mm. of the people around us. She's the only pe- person who ever sees my drawings, but she really likes yeah. them. And there's, there is a part of me that's always been fascinated by the idea of, I wonder if we could just like, maybe we should just like find a shed and put a shed on the property and get her screen printing stuff out. And maybe I'll like, you know, there is something yeah. very intoxicating about that idea. I'm not sure it's necessarily everything, anything that I ever will do, but I am. There is something about that that feels very enticing to me. I think it's yeah, it's it it is great, and I think more so it 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 is just about engaging that part of your brain that is, um, is more rational than than, than emotional, and that's why I, that's what I found really handy about just. It's not a skill, it's a hobby I think that I that I have and I enjoy doing because if you if I do feel myself getting into one of the, I call it a funk but it's you know I know it's two days and I allow myself to be grumpy but it's of I really I suppose I sympathize with people who feel that for more than two days at a time and um, it would be really really difficult and uh and you know it's often those those times when 
it lasts lasts the four or five days that I go, wow, this is this could be would be really tricky to deal with if this was a non-stop uh, problem. So, but that's in the way that I feel really lucky in that. That's that's the worst of it for me, you know. And Have you had to deal with, and when I say had had to deal with, um, uh, so I, I'm I'll. It's funny you mentioned Mark Wilson earlier because, of course, Mark's done this podcast. But um, mm. on the when we're recording this, just a few days ago, uh, oh, yeah. a, a, a friend of ours, uh, you know, died, and you know, and uh, you know, died in the way that they put the lifeline numbers at the end mm. of the article. So we all understand that, and. It was pretty sad. It was a, like a, a guy that I did not know, a guy called Mike Noga. Um, people mm-hmm. might know he was the drummer from the Drones and he was a brilliant solo mu- musician of his own. And uh, he mm-hmm. was, uh, he, he and Miff Warhurst, who's a very good friend of mine, were partners for a very long time and uh, had a couple of mm-hmm. nights spending time with Mike where I said, um, you know, uh, that really to know him for a minute was to feel like you'd known him for a lifetime. He was just one of those people. And mm. it's funny. I just saw a picture of uh, Ryan Fitzgerald, Fitzy, who's been on this podcast as well, and Mark and and uh, Mike at a bar together that Fitzy had posted. And um, it just, you know, I, I'm of that age now. I'm 46 mm. years old where, you know, he's not the first of my friends that we've lost in that way. And you know, you're constantly on the lookout now for, I know certainly on that day, I not only messaged a whole bunch of his friends, but I went out of my way to message a whole bunch of my friends who I just thought might need a little Mm. check in that day. Has that been something that has entered into your life at this stage? It's not, it's funny that happened for me or just losing people. Um, why the first time it happened, I was in year 10. It was a lot of, when I was younger, a lot of my friends, or not sorry, not a lot, uh, a few of my friends, uh, two in particular that I know, took their lives earlier. And it was such a weird, uh, a weird thing that, to think that anyone could even sort of contemplate going down that path. Um, so fortunately, not so much later on in life, but it was something. I had to confront, you know, I think the first time, yeah, I was in, yeah, year 10. So uh, what's that? So 16 years old of someone who dropped out of school and just, you know, I I suppose we didn't reach out to him at the time thinking oh, he didn't want to be part, didn't want to talk to us, but we didn't never realise that he was sort of struggling with other stuff, that it wasn't just about not wanting to go to school and work at the supermarket. It was, there was more there. So, yeah, I th- it's something that I'm aware of, and I, I think it's not something I've. Yeah, again, like I'm feel really, I feel almost really lucky with everything that's happened to me, and not guilty about it. But I do understand that it would be tough, and maybe if there just seemed like there was no light at the end of a tunnel, if you're feeling that anxiety or depression for. A, months years at a time i just have no idea how 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 that would feel and especially at this time for people who most a lot of my friends are performers that your identity is tied up in getting up on stage and sort of hearing people laugh at you or playing music for people and meeting people after so i think it'd be particularly tough for people who who need that and um and feed off that energy of that 
of, of, of the audience. So, yeah, I mean, I, I probably should call a few more of my friends and check out how they're doing. But um, I think, yeah, fortunately for me, I'm, I, I can deal with this all right. And I think that's where sort of doing pictures or painting has, has helped me is just – or understanding that – also understanding that's how my brain works, that it will only be two days and it's – it's it, it it is a monthly thing, so I know it's one of the two days in the month where I'm just going to be feeling, and I can I can um, articulate that to people and just say, look, I'm in just a mood, and it's not you, it's me. Just <laughs> leave me alone. Some days, the other day, you know, it was only half a day that I felt woke up, wondering how long it was. You know, I was going to feel feel grumpy for, but yeah, it's um I think I'm lucky, but yeah, I really um I really feel for anyone who. Um, struggles struggles with those things, and it was yeah really sad to hear that I like I didn't I and didn't I knew Mike Noga through his music, um, so it was really sad to hear. I know a lot of friends were, you know, feeling very sad about that, and yeah, it would be tough. Um, but yeah, that's I, acting to me is. Um, uh... A rejection business. I have great mm. empathy for my friends who are actors. A lot of my close friends are actors and I see the, you know, this idea that, you know, you can get a job and then you can work, but there is a lot of time just applying for the jobs, you know, and often yeah. being unsuccessful in applying for the jobs. Like comedy really doesn't like Rich Hall said that comedy was a joke by joke job application. And I think there's a truth to that in that you mm. are cons like the audience is the person who's employing you and you are constantly applying for the job. Yes, I get that. Yeah. But, but if I want to do something, I just make it right. I want, I want to have a interview show. I can just make it. If I want to, you know, get up in, well, up until what we're currently going through, I used to be able to just imagine something in my head put it all together mm. you know hire one of those you know big comedy auditoriums what are they called theaters and <laughs> then <laughs> and, you know put up, yeah. put on a show that was you know the whereas actors you know can do that to a, a certain degree but not mm. really a lot of it is just going for something and then being rejected for something how do you deal with that part of it you're at the mercy um of someone else's decision or um i've again probably it's fortunate that i don't identify as as an actor or a stand-up comedian <laughs> or really anything so if i don't get a part it doesn't You're it's like, not my fair enough mate. all my eggs aren't in that basket no i don't care i'll do something else i'll <laughs> i'll do a which is why like i I've, I've been fine with it and i never took it personally that it was just someone else had brown hair or you know had longer hair or was slightly taller and that's that. A lot of the time is the reason for it, but that was why I I think after doing Nickelodeon, doing some uh, other bits and pieces, I really wanted to host a Tonight Show, and I had a meeting with a few people, and you know I think the the thing is, well, I hate to say it, but you're not you aren't well known enough to have it. Like if anyone's getting a Tonight Show, they're going to be more of an established sort of comedian, comedian or actor, and then that's when YouTube. And was it six or seven years ago? I went, well, I can just do my own. Like I don't need a broadcaster anymore to do it. But so it's a way of getting around that rejection is, well, you, I'll just make my own work if I um, – you can kind of – which has been the beauty of 
technology now that you can do a podcast that you can get a microphone that's close to broadcast quality and <clears throat> and you can just upload it onto the onto the internet so i think sort of not dealing with rejection i find the times when i don't have any work or any possible work coming up is probably when i'm trying to come up with an idea or that's where the idea of doing a tonight show at home comes from rather than because you know when you're doing at toyota commercials although you that was a year-by-year proposition i mean it went for 15 years at the start had i known it was going to go for 15 years i might have sort of budgeted slightly differently <laughs> you know um but it was never that was never um a job that i i could rely on it was just every year about around footy season you get a call and it would be a really nice phone call to get because i get to kick to kick with a legend got a couple of tickets to the grand final and a little bit of money to put in my water tank to keep keep the year going so i think i mean dealing yeah, I think being able to deal with the rejection is that it might be easier for me because I have not put all my eggs in the acting basket or the comedy basket or, you know, I've done small stints in radio, I think, early after Nickelodeon was meeting. I thought I might want to do stand-up comedy and thought I might enjoy it and met with one of the, I suppose, uh, more prominent managers of comedians, you know, in Melbourne. And he said to me, oh, no, nah, nah, you, you no, won't, you won't like it, but he... You know, it's it's hard work, which I realise it is hard work. That there's, it's not just getting up on stage and making people. It's, there's all the all the practice that goes into it, which I found a little bit disheartening because I genuinely thought I could do it, or I don't know how good I would have been, but I felt I would have enjoyed it at least. And that, but then, so that, I mean, his advice was maybe just go. You could do breakfast radio in Adelaide <laughs> for a few years. And then move to move to Melbourne. Then you go and do breakfast radio in Sydney. This was sort of the, the natural progression. Rather, than, it seemed easier to do breakfast radio, or I think going from a job like Nickelodeon with maybe a little bit of a profile amongst people to say just go do breakfast radio in Adelaide, Melbourne, then Sydney, where I think I really would have liked to have given. Um, stand-up comedy a go which is it's funny on wikipedia it says i'm a regular on the stand-up comedy circuit and i've never done stand-up in my life it also says i'm henry lawson's great-grandson which i'm not at all either <laughs> so i don't know where that came from and which is really disappointing for people i think people they seem more disappointed when they find out i'm not henry lawson's great-grandson i wonder how many jobs i've got because people think um, yeah, the great grandson of. Well, I mean, um, I was about to ask you, obviously, poet. my natural follow-up question. What? <laughs> tell us about your great grandfather, Henry Lawson. I don't, I don't know. He's um, <laughs> and of course the son of him. former Australian uh, cricket and optometrist Jeffrey Lawson, right? Jeff Lawson. Yeah, yeah I've got um, I've got Jeff Lawson's autograph too somewhere on my 1982-83 uh, Benson and Hedges World Cup series <laughs> um, fixture. So, a uh, not. And not related to Josh Lawson or Ben Lawson, none of the, none, none, none of the Lawsons. So it's, it's sort of easy to feel a little bit like a fraud, like people, I've gotten a few jobs because they think I'm someone else. But, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe you've just got to pitch that to Josh and Ben Lawson as like, you know, you've got to have, we've got to have an alternative Hemsworths. Like yeah. maybe the three of you can be like the Lawson brothers. Like if people That's can't so afford their Hemsworths, they can get the Lawsons. They could get. They could. They could take. I could be. Yeah. 
the Lawson, no one knew the the other Lawson. Yeah. But it's um, it feels that way too because during this, a lot of people have. It's I really enjoyed it when people went over to try and make it in the States because mm. it just felt like I was freeing up room, like I'd move <laughs> forward in the line of actors. But it, it was it was always great because uh, you know then, but now they've all come back because the pandemic, and I reckon. It should be back of the line sort of scenario, really. You left. You don't get to come back. Huh? Yeah, Yeah, you you left. left, Back of the line. Sorry. Back of the line. Don't come back here and, you know, suddenly buy your home voiceover studio so you can pick up all the voiceover work (laughs) that I was getting while you guys were away or all the acting work. You know, I really felt like I was getting closer to the front of the line. I was starting to get a, you know, starting to get into that area of being maybe a TV dad. Mm-hmm. Starting to get a few of those roles, and I thought, yeah, I, I really f- felt like I was making uh, making some uh, headway to becoming the actor David Lawson rather than the kids show host Dave Lawson, and then everyone's flown back. Yeah, it's 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 sad for you that apparently the new AFL Toyota ad is uh, Liam Hemsworth and uh, Simon Denny. So, <laughs> so yeah. they will. They're all back. You don't get to do that. You don't get to do that. You know. Um, um, but yeah, I've got some standard questions I ask on the show. Uh, mm. I, I like to know what you think happens when we die. Um, as always, I heard it. I heard it. It's. Um, it's kind of like before you were born. I heard once, and I thought, "Oh, that makes that makes sense." I would love it to be to be zipped into another realm, um, but all I can go on is that it's maybe like yeah, before I was born. Uh, do you care about being remembered? Mm, oh, oh, it'd be nice. I've can't, I'd be nice if people were a little bit sad. <laughs> <laughs> A little, not too much, you know, but a little bit, yeah. Um, um, how would you like to be remembered? This isn't how will you be remembered. This is how would you personally, if what would make you happy that people said about you after you're gone? You know, I always wanted to be, and I would have liked to have been an artist uh, that, that painted, and which is why when I saw that Vincent Van Gogh, Vincent Van Gogh, he only painted for the last ten years of his life. I always thought it was his whole career, but it was just the last ten years of his life. He just went for it and and became that. Which is sort of also, if you want to do something, you just focus on it and, and do it. I mean, he, he didn't end to didn't end great for him either. But I always thought, yeah, it'd, it'd be nice if. What did Van Gogh do? Van Gogh do uh, before Gogh. he was a. Um, before he was an artist, I don't know. I don't know what he did. He was just. You think he must have been doing his something. career? He's like, why won't people talk about my accountancy work? I was a very good accountant <laughs> as well. He probably was. He could have been. I don't know. He was. Um, his Dutch. He might have just been cleaning canals or something like that. He was very you know, stereotypical a canal. Dutch job. <laughs> Now Sorry to all the Dutch people who said he could have been a tulip bulb farmer. <laughs> he, he maybe was a tulip bulb farmer. Um, to be remembered, yeah, it'd be nice. I'd love, I'd love to have maybe have done a couple of paintings that a few of the family members fight over. That's about it. What about the idea? Because obviously, you know, often with art. Like sometimes it can be discovered post someone's death. In fact, it can perhaps sometimes only become valuable after somebody's death. Hmm. Um, what if 
your art was discovered after your death and like you became post-death a really famous artist with that pleasure yeah that i mean it's always sad that you hear that happened happens but yeah that that would that's kind of what i was hoping Dave Lawson oh, wow. died in poverty but now <laughs> his pieces are going for 10 million bucks each <laughs> he had a, he had a, yeah he had a weeks left in his water tank <laughs> and there's no money nothing but a couple of pictures i think there's a lot of artists like that there's a sydney artist grace cosington smith and i think she was the same they discovered her stuff just rooms full of her art and, and you know, just another one of those those beautiful artists. And maybe it was never about that. I mean, I suppose in, for, for a true artist, it's, you're doing it for the art, not, you know, which is why it might have a you know, s- slight problem with, you know, your people like Damien Hirst who, I don't know, what do they do? The f- f- a shark in formaldehyde and sell it for you know, $10 million. It's like, come on, come on, mate, get your hand off it. I mean, maybe he just felt really artistically passionate about putting a shark in formaldehyde. You don't know. That yeah, made, but there's that was just his dream. Yeah, well, I'd seen the same. There was a similar shark in formaldehyde. If you used to drive from Melbourne to Phillip Island, there was the giant earthworm, which was a, and they had a shark in formaldehyde there. So they just didn't call it art. It was just a, it's an attraction, tourist attraction. So, um, yeah, I think yeah that would be good to if maybe I've hoarded a room full of pictures and people enjoyed looking through sketchbooks. Uh, what is your greatest strength? What are, you, what, are you, what are you good at? I think I've only realised this more recently that I'm, I think I'm good at being able to see the positive side of things and or turning, yeah, something that's bad. For example, not getting that acting job into a, or being able to spin it positively in my own head that there was a reason I didn't get that acting job or I wouldn't have been happy doing that or I've missed something else. But also, yeah, trying to see... I generally think that, yeah, maybe that's a strength that I'm only realising more recently that I'm able to be positive, not all the time, but a lot of the time. And um, for me personally, that's something that I value as a strength for myself uh what about when you're at your worst then what's your what do you think your biggest weakness is um okay yeah biggest biggest i think one of my biggest weaknesses is which i don't know i don't know if this is a problem or but it's i do i've just realized also more recently maybe this has been during a pandemic and in lockdown that i try and make flow charts of every possible outcome in my head of (laughs) what could go wrong what will go wrong and uh-huh. so i think it's overthinking things way too much which is i'm i suppose i'm still trying to work out if that's a bad thing or a good thing but it it's overthinking things a little too much and it's yeah it's i think in my brain's full of flow charts of where this will go is this a good decision bad decision um so yeah i think these are both things that i've realized you know in the last few months of um, being yeah, being locked down, maybe spending too much time in my own head, that maybe I you know yeah my sort of yeah, my strength what and weakness you, yeah. What's the biggest social issue that you know you feel passionate about, or that like you know yeah something it could be climate change, it could be you know no. Indigenous Australia, or it could be something you know smaller or different to that. Like you know, is there something that you know, you particularly passionate about? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, 
again, it's it, during lockdown realizing that how lucky I have been, and sort of more recently that yeah, I don't didn't quite realize what my privilege was. I th- I think in this world that I just thought maybe I brought luck to myself without looking at the facts that where I grew up, who I grew up as, where I was born, uh, all these things. So, and I think they're coming back to, you know, I think everyone should be afforded exactly the same education that is probably why I have maybe a slight. I'm not sure where I stand with private schools, but I'm not sure they're a great idea. So I think, I think, I would love for everyone, and it's not possible, but to uh, to be able to have the same opportunities I have, whether it's just that's just having two parents who cared about you and looked after you, that it could be as simple as that. But I'd really, I mean, yeah, I believe in, you know, paying tax and redistributing the wealth. So what does that make me? Is that... a good person. A good person, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a, decent, a decent person. I believe, I, believe yeah, I don't think you have to put any a, a contributing member to a society. Somebody who believes that I believe we in being work better together contri- than we do if we're tearing each other apart. Exactly. I, yeah. I think that's, um, you know, and more recently too that you sort of question your own, you know, do I have sort of some prejudices that have been, that are, that are down there that I didn't want to confront or I didn't know they were there or you think, no, I'm, I, I, I believe everyone's the same. But, um, yeah, I th- I'd really like it to be all shared a little bit more equally, I think, which is, you know, I believe, yeah, paying tax, which is annoying when you got the billionaires who seem to get away with not doing it and my, my you know, tax bill for a, for a year might have only paid for a business class flight for a politician and his family to fly somewhere, which... You know, I'd much rather that go to someone else. Yeah, no, you're right. You're a dirty, fucking, filthy communist. That's what you are. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> well, it seems. I mean, in theory, it seems. All like right, it, calm it might down, work. Bernie Sanders. I get it. All right, we're gonna have a revolution now. Is that what? I, yeah, maybe get rich people to pay their fair share of tax so that we can all have something. We're gonna have a social safety net, I suppose, and everyone should have equal opportunity. To contribute to society. Oh, yeah. All right. Here we go. Is Where's that, your red flag, that, Karl Marx? All right. All right. That, maybe that's what I believe in or that's what I'm, you know, not passionate about. And maybe I want to get a little bit more passionate about something. I think that coming back to that sort of philosophy of take it easy as a teenager, that it's, yeah, it's easy for me. And I, I think I've got to um, be a little bit more aware of, you know, what's going on around me that I can't just live in my own little lucky bubble the whole time that there are people doing it tough and i'd possibly like to help a bit more with that i love it uh two more questions Mm -hmm. and then we're done these are the so first one i've got a magic wand you don't need to do your ten thousand hours i'm you you can just have any skill any skill in the entire world and just be world class at it what is the skill that you would love to have probably electric guitar oh yeah yeah I mean, there's probably other things I could have said, painter, languages. But no, as a kid, I always wanted to be a really good electric guitarist. And I think the only reason I learned guitar, because you have to learn acoustic guitar as, as your first yeah. instrument. They don't, you can't go straight to electric. So I learned it for a bit, then got an electric guitar and got all right at it. But then 
I thought it might be a way to impress people at parties by playing, but all I learned was Metallica back to back and just Metallica doesn't sound right <laughs> on an acoustic guitar at the party when, you know, everyone else is playing Ben Harper, Burn One Down, Johnson, and you're trying to play the solo from one. Sound. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like that. I have a time machine. Yeah. I can take you to any point in history, any point in your own life, any point in the future. It is one round trip. You do not need to do something to serve society. You can choose to, but you don't need to. I'm going to I'm going to send someone appropriately uh, qualified back to deal with Hitler and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. right? This is just for you. This is your ultimate indulgence. Is there a point in the past or the future that you would like to visit, a point in your own life that you'd like to change or observe? You can do whatever you like with this time machine. I'll tell you what I'd like, and I'd love this to happen before my time's up here, not on the uh, here. I'd really love to... I'm not a tinfoil hat wearing aliens exist, but I'd love to go... If there's a point in time I can go to when there's just Mm -hmm. a definite... Yeah, that's something from outer space or another realm. I'd love to see that with my own two eyes and I'd love it to, you know. It, it would be great. It, it, unfortunately, if the news was delivered like this, they're like, Dave, that time does exist. Uh, unfortunately for humanity, it's a very short period of time. So we've got to get you there within a week. And th- some things kick off really quickly after first contact. Well, that's what I, the first contact, that's what I, I would love to see. If that's, a, if that's a time or just to be around... Because it would shake the world up kind of like a pandemic has shaken the world. And I'm, I mean, on my Google search, there's probably like UFO sightings, November, you know, December. I, I, it's just the problem is with fake videos these days and people are getting good, so good at special effects, you can't tell which one's which one's real. I, I, yeah, I'd love to see that with my own eyes. Uh, that's a cool answer. No one's ever said that before. I like that a lot. Uh, <laughs> David Lawson, it has been an absolute pleasure Brilliant. having you on the show. What is it that I can plug? We'll we'll plug stuff here at the end, but what I'd like to do is then I'll I'll just use these things to plug at the start as well. So there'll be a decent yeah. plug at the start of the episode. But what is it that you would like uh, people to know about? Uh, look, I think there's well, I've got nothing coming up at the moment, obviously. But if you want to check out, I've talked talked about the um, my shed show um, a few times through this podcast. So just if you Google. Dave's Shed Show. I've got, you know, it's it's a dumb show that I did in my shed. I've done it ten times, and I I really like it and I'm proud of it, and would love people to see it. Uh, how many um, people have watched? What look the best watched episode? How many people have watched it? I don't know. Well, Roadshow helped me make the last six batch of six or eight. Mm. Um, so I think it, like it might be a hundred thousand. Okay, so seen. here's why I'm asking. How many people do we need to get, like, to watch new episodes to get you back in the shed to make, like, so, like, as in, like, how many views of the old episodes do we need to get out of this podcast that it forces you back in the shed to make new episodes? It was never, it was never, never about the views. It was always just another hobby, just a hobby. I know, the- but there's got to be a number. There's got, like, yeah. if you were just sitting around and you were suddenly like, I did the podcast, and then yeah. suddenly like double the amount of people who'd ever watched before watched it again, you, you, you should, right. that wouldn't get you back in the shed. Yeah, I'd, 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 it'd, it'd prick my ears up for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I would have, a, I would have another look at it. I'd open the shed up for sure. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, but either way, watch it, don't watch it, and um, yeah, take care of each other. <laughs> that, that great branding of yours. Watch it or don't watch it. 
straight from the mouth of the advertising man. <laughs> yeah, great. Well, thanks, uh, thanks, thanks for having me on your um, Mate, podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. I have uh, absolutely loved it. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Oh,